This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. This is the 21st episode of the legislature today this year. That coincides with day 30 of the 60-day legislative session. Yes, we've reached the halfway point. House Democrats held a halfway through the session press conference today. As Randy Yowie shows us, the theme of the presentation was what has not been accomplished to help the people of West Virginia. House Democrats called this a do-nothing regular session, saying the Republican supermajority proposed bills infringe on people's constitutional and personal rights. They said legislators are more focused on putting guns in classrooms than teachers in classrooms. Democrats voice concerns over supermajority bills they say would defund the police and make it easier to reverse local anti-discrimination ordinances. House Minority Leader Doug Scaff from Kanawha County said Republican priorities are skewed at best. What have we done to fix our roads, public education, mental health in this state, PEIA, foster care, help our counties in need with the ARPA funds that were supposed to be designated to help them get back on their feet? What have we done to help our seniors? What have we done to put more teachers in the classroom, not guns? How many people was out there on the campaign trail said, we're gonna put more guns in the classroom, not teachers? Delegate Joey Garcia of Marion County said many of the issues and bills that Republicans and Democrats do agree on do not get properly advanced. It sounds like we agree on things like correctional pay raises, like trying to fix PEIA so that hospitals don't stop accepting it like up in Wheeling. And we actually have bills that are, that are there, and I don't understand the hesitancy to move those forward. We pass things through minor committees, and we're waiting for finance to take them up. House Democrats said there are 30 days left to pass meaningful legislation to help all West Virginians. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The abortion debate resumed to the House floor today, along with concerns on how taxpayer dollars are spent. House Bill 2002 provides support for families. It raises the tax credit for adoptive parents from $4,000 to $5,000 and establishes a statewide Mothers and Babies Pregnancy Support Program. It also outlaws any funding to so-called abortion industry organizations. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, says the pregnancy restrictions take anti-abortion to the extreme. One of the impacts of forbidding an organization from even mentioning the word abortion 
or providing referrals for abortion is that people, women, pregnant women, will not receive the medical care that they need. Delegate Eric Brooks, a Republican from Raleigh County, spoke for the bill, expounding on the supermajority's right to life stance. So I do support this legislation. I think this does much to advance the cause, uh, the culture of life, to support the culture of life in our state. It's needed. Uh, we are a pro-life state. My constituents certainly are in a, uh, a pro-life constituency. Uh, my district is a pro-life district. House Bill 2002 passed 88 to 8 and now goes to the Senate. There was also heated debate over an amendment proposed to House Bill 2882, which would remove $105 million earmarked for state investment in the Form Energy Battery Plant Project at the old Weirton Steel site. Delegate Todd Kirby, a Republican from Raleigh County, says Governor Jim Justice has no business using taxpayer funds for this venture. I was asked to fix CPS. I was asked to fix PEIA, or to at least explain why that had not been fixed. One thing I wasn't asked to do was to come and fund Bill Gates. I wasn't asked to come and give billionaires $100 million, $290 million of our taxpayers' money. But Delegate Sean Fluharty, a Democrat from Ohio County, joined many Republicans in favor of the state investing in major economic development. But we are not just coal communities. We have steel communities in the northern panhandle. Coal fields in the south, basically steel fields in the north, okay? And this facility on 55 acres in the northern panhandle will revitalize what is basically a ghost town and turn into good jobs. The amendment failed by a vote of 70 to 25, as did others, and the bill now advances to third reading tomorrow. The Senate passed Senate Bill 495 today, which is aimed at correcting Senate Bill 441, which passed during last year's legislative session what was intended as a bill to help facilitate access to records ended up doing the exact opposite. Chris Schulz has more. So this bill, if enacted, would restore it to the form in which... Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, said Senate Bill 495 aims to do what 2022's Senate Bill 441 failed to do. The bill addresses generally uh, the confidentiality of records, uh, records necessary for the secure and safe management of inmates and residents committed to state correctional facilities and juvenile facilities, so it's both. And this bill, uh, if enacted, will make it clear that records remain available as uh, consistent with the Freedom of Information Act. Trump explained on the Senate floor Thursday morning that Senate Bill 441 left their chamber in what he called pretty good shape, but returned to the Senate with amendments on the last night of the session, amendments that removed references to the state's Freedom of Information Act. And we, we concurred with the House amendment and passed the bill, and uh, what I've been told since is that, division of, is that the Division of Homeland Security has been using our bill as a means to deny access to information. That was never our intention. 
In fact, Trump says that's precisely the opposite of the bill's intent, originally designed to provide an extra mechanism for people to obtain records or information from correctional facilities or juvenile facilities. He said it was never his or the Senate's intention to further restrict public access to information, and everything the government does should be accessible and transparent to the public. But the general rule, my philosophy is that government should be transparent at all levels, and uh, it is, after all, uh, a government that belongs to the people. The people are sovereign in our system, and they make the decisions. They inform us and tell us how they want us to represent them, but this government belongs to the people. And so the general rule should always be that the more information that's available to the people, the better. Trump conceded that the new bill could have been avoided if he had acted last year and offered his apologies to the body for having a law enacted in what he called an insufficient form. I would be less than candid if I didn't uh, admit or confess uh, and say that I should have caught the change, you know, when it came back from the House last year on the last day of the session. Uh, I missed it, and uh, consequently, the bill that got enacted was different from what we were hoping to achieve when we uh, launched it to the House of Delegates last year, and I'm hoping we're going to get that corrected this year. Senate Bill 495 now heads to the House of Delegates for their consideration. For the Legislature Today, I'm Chris Schultz. Today's focus in the rotunda was health care, with both the West Virginia Hospital Association and Nurses Association sharing the space. Vice President of Legislative Affairs for the West Virginia Hospital Association, Tony Gregory, says 150 hospital leaders from across the state are meeting with their legislators and talking about key issues foremost, PEIA reimbursements. And so what we want to do is just try to raise some awareness about some of the challenges that are associated with um, low reimbursement as a result of, of payment by PEIA. Uh, we are getting paid about 50% of what Medicare pays. And if you look at the scale, Medi Medicare, uh, Medicare pays uh, well below the cost of care. So we're trying to raise that, that level of, of reimbursement for our hospitals. Uh, we do have strong support uh, of the, by the legislature and we look forward to working with them on that issue. Gregory also highlighted workforce as a continuing challenge for hospitals, not only among nurses and physicians, but also in a wide range of positions, including lab techs and pharmacists. The Senate Committee on Health and Human Resources Thursday took up the much-anticipated issue of PEIA reform. PEIA is the insurer for thousands of public employees that has come under increased scrutiny for paying more in reimbursements to out-of-state hospitals than to in-state facilities, including WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital. That hospital in January announced plans to stop accepting the state's public employees' health insurance by July 1st. Today, the Senate committee introduced and discussed Senate Bill 268. That bill would change the requirement that PEIA conduct public hearings in each congressional district. It also repeals two sections of code related to retiree premium subsidies prior to 2010 and removes a cap on autism services. During committee discussions, Senator Maroney asked Jason Haught, interim director and chief financial officer for PEIA, about rates. Specifically, if hospitals are allowed to negotiate 
with PEIA for inpatient rates or not. You know, that, that, that term negotiation, I believe. I used it. I, I, yes, I, I I'm believe, telling you, well, you really used it. Yes, and I believe that we do um, allow negotiation with our in-state providers. The one that is we're talking about right now was done in 2002 with the West Virginia Hospital Association and PEI and the Department of Health and Human Resources Bureau of Medical Services. They all sat down, came up with the Medicaid swap reimbursement that pulled in additional money for the hospitals. It just ran stale. You know, it didn't, it, it needed to be, you know, re, re-discussed and, and, and updated and it just didn't, didn't occur, okay. unfortunately. The Senate Energy, Industry, and Mining Committee approved Senate Bill 168 on Thursday. That legislation would exempt coal consumed by West Virginia power plants from the severance tax. The exemption would not apply to the severance tax that supports local governments. The bill would result in the loss of tens of millions of dollars in revenue each year to the state, though. Senators were also told it may raise issues with the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution. The bill now goes to the Senate Finance Committee. The committee ended making a motion for SB 268 to be reported to the full Senate with recommendation it do pass and with the further recommendation that it be referred to the Finance Committee. Energy costs have gone up for West Virginians in the past couple of years. Local governments in the state have been some of the most vocal opponents of utility rate increases. Today, Curtis Tate speaks with two officials who'd like the legislature to get more involved in that effort. Thank you, Bob. We're here today with uh, uh, Councilman Emmett Pepper of the Charleston City Council uh, and also uh, uh, Commissioner Kent Carper of the Kanawha County Commission. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, an issue that affects the pocketbooks of ordinary West Virginians and it's their utility bills. Uh, and they've, uh, they've gotten more expensive in recent years uh, for people to light their homes and heat their homes. Um, and uh, local governments in particular have been, have been fairly vocal about uh, these utility cost increases. Uh, and, and recently, uh, the Public Service Commission ruled uh, against Appalachian Power, which was requesting a $297 million recovery from ratepayers uh, on account of fuel costs. And uh, Commissioner Carper, you had spoken out against that, and you've also asked the legislature to get involved. Uh, what can you tell me about that? Well, to me, it makes uh, perfect sense, and thank you for allowing me to be here in Public Service Radio. I, I will just say this, uh, people can't afford this, and we've asked the legislature to cap utility bills. They like to talk about capping other things, and there's nothing wrong with that. Utility bills have gotten ridiculous. Uh, make no mistake about it, Appalachian Power Company writes a request for a new rate increase before the one that's even obtained. The fact that this was denied is fantastic news. It's the first time I've seen anything like this. It's the largest utility rate increase in history, and it's the largest one ever denied. But while we're sitting here talking, their lawyers, their lobbyists are right back at it again. Well, and they, they have denied this request for, for the time being. They're actually re reviewing uh, the you know, the, the company's uh, fuel procurement practices and stuff like that, uh, they could come back and, and consider it again, so. They don't have to even have another hearing. They, can, they could grant it while we're sitting here talking. The Kanawha County Commission is in the process right now of filing another petition asking them to have meaningful public hearings before they grant this rate increase. It was an obscene amount to begin with. 
Have you heard back on this request for uh, for a public hearing on this issue? No. Okay. Well, I, uh, another thing that the legislature is doing, I think, as we speak right now, is they're uh, they're talking about a resolution that would encourage uh, uh, Mon Power, which is a, another major utility uh, in the state uh, electricity provider, uh, to purchase the Pleasance Power Station in Pleasance County. Uh, which is a 1300 megawatt facility employs about 150 people uh it's scheduled to shut down uh at the end of may but um you know uh some folks uh have been advocating for for mon power to buy the uh the power plant um and councilman pepper um on, in, in your work on behalf of energy efficient west virginia you've you said that that's a bad idea why is that a bad idea well, it's bad. It's bad. It's going to be bad for ratepayers. Um, and w what this is is it's a, a proposal to require uh, Mon Power and Potomac Edison customers to underwrite this power plant uh, in in the county. Now, uh, it's an important power plant to our, to the economy of the state. I understand that. Um, however, it doesn't have to be bought by ratepayers. Uh, someone else could buy it. In fact, a different subsidiary of First Energy could buy it. Uh, and they and that subsidiary could operate it without affecting ratepayers, uh, and there's, so there's no reason for us to to be getting involved in this and picking winners, picking losers. I mean, I think just stepping back a little bit, what this legislature needs to be doing to help ratepayers is it actually needs to be conservative. It needs to have conservative principles. It needs to look into the free market for getting our electricity not using um, the government to pick winners and choosers, uh, winners and losers. Um, we need to be encouraging self-reliance uh, for individuals, families and businesses that want to meet their own energy needs on their own without government involvement and government created monopolies involvement. We, we should be encouraging those things uh, of our citizens. And finally, if we're gonna have these, these, uh, these monopoly utilities that are created by our government, um, they should be reliable, and we should be doing more uh, to make sure that we have reliable uh, energy. And you know, we one of the things that we I've been hearing in the legislatures when they, people talk about reliability, they're saying they're saying something about where the generation comes from, and that's what's going to affect our reliability. But I'm sorry, all, all of my life in West Virginia, there have not been outages due to generation issues. There have been outages due to trees fall on branches, things things of that nature. We have. Most of the utilities in the state are the in the top five in the country, least reliable. Uh, more outages, Appalachian Power is the, is the worst one. And uh, so we need to be doing something about that. One thing we could be doing is we could be helping and giving people incentives, encouraging them to have battery backup so that they don't, if the power goes out, they at least don't lose, they don't have to have their lives interrupted. There are people in the state that have a full day out of their whole year that they suffer through no power. What's a good example of what the legislature could be doing? Is there a bill that 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 is out there that would that would help achieve what some of what you said? Yeah, I, I don't think that there's a bill on the uh, the battery uh, storage uh, issue, but yeah, there's I know there's a bill on uh, community solar uh, that would that would help with that. There's there have been uh, we've asked many times the Public Service Commission for there to be better energy efficiency programs, things, incentives for people to make it easier for them to spend their own money to make their house more cost effective for them and reduce their bills. That's what people pay, they pay bills. Commissioner Carper, I, I know you, you know this, this issue so well. Uh, the, these, uh, 
these coal-fired power plants in West Virginia, there's no doubt. They employ a lot of people. They support a lot of other jobs. They provide a tax base for communities. Uh, but at the same time, though, uh, as, as the cost of, of electricity has gone up and up and up, you know, we're 91% reliant on, on coal-fired power generation. You know, where does the, does the point come where you have to say, okay, what about alternatives? What, what else could we be doing here? Well, that point's here right now. I mean, the legislature, I'll give them a little credit. They've passed some bills looking at alternative renewable sources. That's good. Renewable sources are important. But uh, I'm sorry on this one. I'm a West Virginian. I grew up. We still need uh, fossil fuel till they come up with something to replace it. You can't do it overnight. But think about it. The fossil fuel share of the energy for electrical generation has dropped by about 40% in the last, what, 10 years. So we're already there as far as weaning us off fossil fuel for those that think that's what we ought to do. Um, Councilman Pepper, let me, let me ask you about this, and you and I have talked about this before. Uh, we've had examples in, in recent years of the legislature, uh, you know, kind of carving out a space for, for certain companies like Nucor, uh, like Berkshire Hathaway Energy uh, and others uh, to come into West Virginia and to get a certain percentage of their, of their electrical power needs from renewables uh, or in the case of Berkshire Hathaway Energy to create uh, a renewable only microgrid. This isn't really something that, that uh, most businesses and, and consumers in, in West Virginia can take advantage of. They're, they're kind of captive to the, the, uh, the system that we already have. Uh, what, what should the legislature do to, uh, to open that up? I believe in the free market. People should be able to choose if they want to, to create their own energy uh, with no caps on it. We should be able to, if we want to make more energy and have our neighbors buy some of it from us, they should be able to do that. I, this is, look, I, you know, this is, should be a free market system. And instead, what we have is monopolies that look for the, to the government to force you and me to pay for their friends' power plants, or their, their friends' businesses. And, and that's, not, that's not capitalism, folks. That is something else. Well, I'll disagree a little bit. I mean, with, with utilities, major utilities, you, you have to have a monopoly. I mean, how many power plants and how many power lines can we put up with? I mean, it kind of works that way. Although co-ops certainly do. I, I mean, I buy that part. There's got to be a blend. You're going to see a transition to buying back power, people getting solar panels. You see it all over the country. That'll happen here, but it's going to take some time. But in the meantime, we cannot dare put our uh, fossil fuel industry out of business while we're transitioning. We've got to do both. Yeah, I don't think anyone's saying the fossil fuel industry in West Virginia is going to go out of business. Right now we have, as you say, 90% plus of, of electricity that, that uh, we are producing from fossil fuels. And what we're seeing now at the legislature uh, is that they're asking for ratepayers, uh, again, you and I, to pay extra to keep a power plant on that produces more energy than we actually need in the state uh, at, with the Pleasant's power plant. And for us to, uh, this is something that we haven't talked about, but there's a bill in committee today that would require us, Appalachian Power ratepayers, to pay to keep the Mitchell power plant on long, uh, for longer, uh, the other half of the Mitchell power plant that we don't need that Kentucky owns right now. So the, the, what we see here is we see people rent-seeking from government, asking government to force the rest of us to pay for their friends' uh, investments. And they've that's got, not fair. They've got good lobbyists. They sure do. <laughs> Well, th that, that always helps. Um, well, Commissioner Carper, you and I were, were talking just a little bit earlier uh, about, you know, the, uh, 
the, the reliance of local governments on the severance taxes that come from, uh, from fossil fuels. And um, another thing that they're, they're talking about in the legislature, I believe also today in committee, uh, is exempting the coal that is consumed by the power plants in the state from those severance taxes. What, what sort of impact do you see that having? Well, first of all, the legislature really, really needs to get back to the normal order of business. They need to start having committees, public hearings with experts coming, even lobbyists have a place in that. Uh, there has to be a physical note on that. Now, what will probably happen, they'll give that revenue away, and they'll probably give local government share away instead of the state's government. They're spending coal severance money right now. The, the tax, I argued this during the Amendment 2 debate, at least half of that money comes from uh, coal severance. I argued that that money is not stable, it uh, runs in cycles. Now you're hearing that when they told me I didn't know what I was talking about. I can tell you this, you just can't keep taking funding away from cities and counties. The last time I checked, the state doesn't run an ambulance service. The last time I checked, the state doesn't run a fire department. The last time I checked, they don't run the sheriff's department. Local government runs city police, city fire department. That, that funding is critical for public safety. What yeah, do you think, uh, yet, yet another Pepper? conservative message. Uh, we should be uh, having a more conservative outlook on local control. The local governments know what's best for their citizens because they're closest to their citizens. We shouldn't have, uh, well in this case, Charleston telling Charleston what to do. The Charleston State Legislature telling the Charleston City Council and others uh, what to do. But, but we see that all over the state where people, you know, the local governments are being, having their powers taken away. And that's that's not fair, and, and having their funding take away or uh, uh, attacked is also not fair. Um, well, I'd like to thank you both for, for coming on the legislature today and talking about a, an issue that's uh, important to me, and it's important to a lot of West Virginians, too. So, uh, uh, Councilman Emmett Pepper, Commissioner Kent Carper, thank you again. Back to you, Bob. Thanks for that, Curtis. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brother. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.